Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 12th parak of Milachim Bet, which picks up with the reign of King Yoash. Last parak, we discussed the amazing narrative of Yoash's early life being saved from death and hid away in the Beis HaMikdash for six years, until finally being of age that he could sit on the throne. Our parak opens by telling us that, in fact, when Yoash was of age, after those six years, uh, he was only still seven years old. That's how old he was when he took power, and we could well, well imagine that it was his uncle, Yehoyada, the Kohen Gadol, who effectively ran the nation uh, at that point until Yoash reached some age of maturity. When he does reach maturity... Uh, we begin to learn about the projects that he undertakes. Firstly, we're told that as long as Yehoyada was alive, Yoash did that which was right and good in the eyes of Hashem. And that's, of course, a kind of backhanded compliment. It suggests that he does what's right for a period of time and then kind of ominously foreshadows the fact that later on he is going to stray uh, very much uh, and, uh, and do that which is not right in the eyes of Hashem. Interestingly, Sefer Malachim doesn't really give us the details of Yoash's sins. For that, we'd have to study Divrei Hayamim. But just knowing that Yoash ultimately does stray certainly kind of casts a little bit of a shadow uh, over what we're going to read today. And uh, I think it's actually a very important shadow because a simple reading of this perek, uh, just a very straightforward reading, would, would seem to be an account of, uh, of a few different decisions that Yoash makes as king, a few policies that uh, are ostensibly positive. Um, but I, I would like to offer a reading today that ties, I think, the whole parak together very nicely. But it reads the parak as, uh, as an error, as a, mis- as a mistake, even a sin, followed by a punishment. And, uh, you know, as is often the case, you could read this parak in a few different ways. Uh, but this is, this is what I find to be the, the, the most compelling. So we're told that Yoash uh, sees that the Beis HaMikdash is in disrepair. And he wants to fix it. Beautiful. This is, of course, very much in line with who Yoash is as someone who was raised for many years in the Beis HaMikdash, certainly has an affinity towards it and would have an eye towards what needs to be fixed. And so naturally, he uh, sees that, it's, uh, that, it's, that it needs some work and he's interested in repairing it. And initially, he tasks the Kohanim with going out and fundraising from people with whom they have a relationship, people that might give them they're uh, the gifts of kahuna, uh, and so people with whom they, they already receive some funds to go and ask them to donate on behalf of the Beis HaMikdash and secure the, the, the funds necessary to repair the structure. Unfortunately, however, the Kohanim prove unsuccessful at raising these funds. And so after some time, Yoash changes his tack and he puts what amounts to, be, to, to basically the, the first pushka uh, into the Beis HaMikdash. It's this giant box with a hole in it for you to put money into it and, uh, and, it's, and it's locked up. And when it gets filled up, it's then emptied and counted, etc. And the Mepharshan debate why he did this. Was this simply uh, as a, a result of the fact that he saw that the Kohanim just weren't very good at fundraising? Maybe they weren't sufficiently persuasive or maybe even sufficiently motivated to do it? Or, as other Mepharshim argue, was Yoash uh, really, implicitly at least, charging them with, with dishonesty? That he, he felt that the, the money wasn't coming to the Beis HaMikdash because they were siphoning it off for themselves, pocketing some of the funds that were, that were needed in order to reach their mark and, and hit the, uh, the, the number on that, you know, the, every shul that does an expansion has that capital campaign, uh, you know, the thermometer that gets filled up. So, 
um, you know, that's, that was what was preventing Yoash from hitting his fundraising goals. It's not really clear w- w- what was bothering Yoash here or what, was, what, what drove Yoash to put the, the pushka there. But I, I think of those two readings, it's more appealing to actually say the latter, that, uh, that, that he put it there out of a, a lack of faith in, uh, in the Kohanim, uh, in the Kohan's honesty. Because his solution wasn't to just, you know, get more aggressive, to buy more billboards and to be more, you know, have a more aggressive PR campaign for the Beis HaMikdash. His strategy was to cut the Kohanim out of the process altogether and to basically uh, seize and centralize all of the power uh, over the money into the Beis HaMikdash and into this locked pushka, which I think, again, the idea that there's this big locked box in the middle, middle of the Beis HaMikdash suggests that there was a, a, a question that he had about, uh, you know, who was sticking their hands into the communal coffers. And so I think that, that we, we can read this as Yoash um, does not trust. He distrusts the Kohanim and therefore he makes this move. And I think that that's a pretty significant slap in the Kohanim's face if you consider the fact that until he was seven years old, Yoash lived secretly in the Beis HaMikdash. All of the Kohanim must have known about Yoash, this baby, this child, this infant and toddler being raised in the Beis HaMikdash. They protected him. They fed him. They kept his very existence a secret from the queen, undoubtedly risking their own lives in the process. And now Yoash is all grown up and he's suspecting them of dishonesty and disloyalty to him and to the Beis HaMikdash. And, and, and that was a real slap in the face, and it seems to be a, a terrible miscalculation. And I think that the, the way in which it's a miscalculation bears out and becomes clear when we read the next story that is told in this parak. We learn that Aram has invaded the north and is now poised to attack Yerushalayim, eyeing Yerushalayim. Yoash, as a last-ditch effort, um, empties all of the treasure, the storehouses of the Beis HaMikdash to give to Chazael, the king of Aram, to essentially leave Yerushalayim alone. It was a bribe, it was a tribute, and it works, and Aram does not attack Yerushalayim. Again, this, this sounds like a pretty bland story. Yoash makes a cold, calculated, political decision, and he succeeds. He, 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 he averts war. But after this story, okay, we'll soon tie everything together, right? After this story, we learn that Yoash dies an inglorious death. He is, he is assassinated. He is killed by two high-ranking officials. And his death suggests it's kind of the end of a person who was, who was bad or a sinner, right? It, it reflects kind of a punishment. And I, and I think that, you know, as I said, in Divrei Hayamim, if we read that, it'll be very clear that Yoash does sin terribly and deserves this inglorious end. But if we're just looking at our parak. Uh, and we're just looking, looking at Sefer Malachim, I think that we actually, putting aside everything that we're going to learn in Divrei Hayamim, we already kind of have enough information to connect the dots and to put together a very powerful picture. So just to put everything together now, first we have Yoash betray the Kohanim, who raised him, right, who, who raised him in the base HaMikdash, took care of him. Now he's questioning their honesty and their loyalty and their reliability when it comes to communal funds for the Mikdash. Then Yoash himself as the steward of those very funds, the communal funds, the storehouses, the treasure, and the treasury of the Beis HaMikdash, he ends up not proving responsible for them either, right? He's, he, he's the one who's responsible for giving them all away to Aram. And I think 
that uh, that the parak is written to, in such a way that, that makes us see that this is an act of great moral hypocrisy. He was the one who charged the Kohanim with not being trustworthy, and he himself ends up being not trustworthy with those very same funds. And I think that as a result of that, he suffers the consequences, right, in, in reading this parak as its own literary unit, putting aside the Yamim already, perhaps this gives us an insight into uh, a mistake uh, that Yoash made uh, and, and something that he ultimately play, paid the ultimate price for. Now, to be clear, you could read this parak totally differently. You could read it as two distinct stories in which Yoash does something great. First, he reforms uh, the way that money is raised for the base of Mikdash. He makes it much more transparent. He, he removes all the overhead and he, he streamlines fundraising for the base of Mikdash to fix it up. Great, that's a thumbs up. And you could also say that he acts quickly to divert an attack from Aram, saving Yerushalayim. Another thumbs up. That's, that's one way to read this parak. But as I said, knowing all that we do, uh, all the things that we're going to learn in Divar Hayyamim, which has kind of cast a shadow over this parak, I think it's very compelling to read the entire parak as one big unit, uh, one move in which Yoash makes a miscalculation uh, and, and, uh, and is not right in the way that he suspects the Kohanim. And then the second story is this kind of a hypocritical moment where he then is the one who proves unworthy or untrustworthy with the communal funds and then ultimately uh, is punished as a result and is, uh, and is killed. Again, two different ways to read the parak. I leave it to you to, to look at the parak, to think about these two different readings. Uh, as always, I welcome your comments and your thoughts. If you have a different way of reading the parak or strongly favor either of these two readings, please do let me know. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.